Good morning. My name is Philip de Corte, and uh, I'm head of the uh, IP team that supports the crop protection business of Syngenta. And you're listening to IP Fridays. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 129 of IP Fridays. Today's interview guest is Philip de Corto, who is heading the IP team of the Crop Protection Business Unit of Syngenta. But before we jump into the interview, I have news for you, of course. Um, this week will be very exciting for all the IP professionals in this world, especially the trademark professionals, since the INTA annual meeting will start in Washington. Unfortunately, I can't make it this year, but my co-host Ken Suzanne already headed to Washington DC and will be able to meet with you. So if you want to meet Ken Suzanne, the co-host of IP Fridays, please reach out to him. You can find his contact details at ipfridays.com. The Unified Patent Court officially confirmed that it will open the doors later this year or early next year. So that's an important announcement from the official UPC website. The German Patent and Trademark Office announced that you can now enter the national phase coming from PCT not only after 30 months but also after 31 months. So you now have one additional month to enter the national phase from a PCT application coming into a national patent application in Germany. The Republic of Chile joins the Madrid system. On April 4th, the government of the Republic of Chile deposited the instruments of accession to the Madrid protocol. So you can now designate Chile in an international registration for a trademark starting from 4th of July 2022. Alibaba has announced that it is making nine key patents for green data center technology free for external parties. Alibaba Cloud also plans to have its global data centers running entirely on clean energy by 2030. Also, the European Patent Office has published the second edition of the Unitary Patent Guide. It is available as HTML on their website as well as as a PDF. A link to the Unitary Patent Guide of the EPO is in the show notes. So now let's jump into the interview with Philippe de Corte. Today's interview guest is Philippe de Corte. He is currently serving as head of IP crop protection at Syngenta. Thank you for being on the show, Philippe. Well, thank you for having me. Maybe you can briefly introduce yourself a little bit more. Um, you know more about yourself than I do, of course. <laughs> so I maybe give us a, bro uh, a short background about yourself. <laughs> of course. So, uh, well, again, my name is Philippe de Corte. Uh, head of the IP team for that supports the crop protection business within Syngenta. We have a couple of business units within the Syngenta group. Uh, the biggest one is the crop protection business, and my team supports that uh, business. Um, 
I'm actually a chemist by training, uh, organic chemist, uh, studied in Ghent in Belgium. I am Belgian. Um, and then, uh, as, as often they say, I moved over to the dark side, uh, started to uh, train as a patent attorney in Janssen Pharmaceutica, which uh, at the time was uh, part of the, and it still is, part of the Johnson & Johnson family of companies. Uh, there I became a patent attorney, I became head of the uh, patent team there. And then uh, I actually moved to the United States for three years, uh, working there actually also doing the U.S. qualifying examination um, in the U.S. Um, so then I returned, then I moved company, then I was uh, in 2007, 2008, I uh, went over to Cargill, was head of their IP team for Europe, and then in 2013, which now seems already a long time ago, but I have the feeling that I only did that yesterday. I moved over to uh, to Syngenta. Um, so that's I'm based in Basel. Um, uh, so uh, and my team, I have a team in in Basel and a team in uh, Gellert Hill in the United States. Someone in the U.S. and we will be building up uh, a team in China. So that's a bit my background. Well, thank you very much. So today we want to talk about uh, the supplementary protection certificates uh, for plant protection products. So maybe not all our listeners, um, most of our listeners are IP professionals, but not all of them are maybe familiar with supplementary protection certificates and in particular with the supplementary protection certificates for um, plant protection products in contrast to the supplementary protection certificates for pharmaceutical inventions. So maybe you can give us a brief introduction to what are supplemental, uh, supplementary protection certificates and what is the specialty about these SPCs for plant protection products. Okay, happy to do that. So supplementary protection certificates, as the word itself says, is our certificates that give supplementary protection. Now, what does that mean? Um, it was, they are relatively new. Uh, the supplementary protection certificates or SPCs for short uh, for pharmaceuticals were introduced in uh, 1992, the previous century, but still quite late in the previous century. So uh, that will then be um, yeah, 30 years ago. Um, and why are they there? They are there because it was uh, seen that uh, for pharmaceuticals, the uh, useful time of patent protection was reduced because of the long regulatory uh, timelines that you have. So um, in pharmaceuticals, I do not know exactly the latest uh, numbers, but it at least takes you 10 years from the moment that you're, uh, you file your first patent application. And that is not too long after the people in re research will have synthesized that molecule and tested it. So then often you're uh, basically forced by the environment, if I may put it that way, to file your first patent application. So if you then count uh, how long it takes before you actually have a product on the market, it will be easily 10 years, uh, sometimes even 12 years. So there was this uh, feeling that 
Ja, when uh, a, a pharmaceutical company can only benefit for 10 to 8 years of patent protection. Um, and just to make sure that you would be able to recuperate your uh, investment into R&D sufficiently, there was the idea that to create a sui generis, right? So it's nice to throw in a little bit of Latin. Uh, so something that stands on itself, um, a sui generis, right, to compensate for that. And hence the supplementary protection certificate was born. Um, the plant protection um, supplementary protection certificate is, well, very similar almost the text is almost identical it is a separate regulation it was actually introduced forgot to say that but it was introduced by regulations european uh, eu regulations um uh, although there were also other countries like switzerland uh, Liechtenstein, uh, and others that actually introduced a similar system but but um the plant protection supplementary certificates were introduced simply because we have the same issue. Uh, we also have to submit our uh, products to a regulatory review. You cannot come to the market without a regulatory approval, and the timelines are approximately the same. Uh, the amounts of money might be slightly less, so take it uh, grosso modo for, I think maybe it's now a, a little bit dated, but at the time, a couple of years ago, the um, the cost for R&D for one compound was estimated at something like a billion. Now it's probably more, uh, but we are, uh, for plant protection products, it's actually also a quarter of a billion to to half a billion depends, of course, a little bit. So, uh, how you calculate, but it is substantial amounts of money. And to be able to recuperate that, there was this extra protection that was introduced. So, um, that is why supplementary protection uh, protection certificates are there, um, and why there are actually very similar uh, regulations for plant protection products and for pharmaceutical products. So thank you for um, telling our listeners what SPCs are and about the similar regulations for um, or the similar framework basically for SPCs for plant protection products and pharmaceutical products. As you are um, dealing with this in your day-to-day -day life, what are the, like from a practical point of view, the main differences between SPCs for plant protection products and SPCs for pharmaceutical products, or are there any? Well, it's a, it's a good question because, as I mentioned before, the law is, well, let's say, practically the same. The, the two um, industries are quite similar with respect to R&D, how it actually works. It's the same. Uh, you The classical approach to R&D is indeed you make new molecules, you find activity, you develop. The timelines are more or less the same. But what we do have is that um, we, we, the end product can be, for instance, quite different. Let me explain. In our business, um, for instance, mixtures play a much more important role than, the, than in the pharmaceutical world. Mixtures are important in pharmaceuticals as well, but 
for us, it's much more important. Why? Well, there are a number of reasons. Uh, when a farmer wants to spray his field, he wants to, well, the, he wants to spray one time instead of many times. So um, that's already one reason why you have a mixture. Secondly, uh, as it may be known or not known, but uh, the, the, uh, the pests that we are trying to control are developing quite rapidly resistance to products. So by using the mixtures, you, you want to avoid that they develop this resistance. So there are, there are many other reasons why we go for mixtures first. So one of the things that we are uh, facing is that sometimes our first product that we bring to the market is actually a mixture. Now that is actually a problem because we, uh, the way the SPC system works is you need to refer to a basic patent. You need to, and what you get protection for is indeed the, the object, if I may put it that way, of the marketing uh, authorization. So it's a bit a, it's a, almost a little bit a magical thing. You have your patent, then you get your regulatory approval and your what is actually described in your regulatory approval that product is then gets the patent protection prolonged in this sui generis right of the SPC. I know it's a little bit complicated, but that's how it more or less works. But obviously, that is a different situation than when you actually would come with one compound, because then you couldn't, you know, then there is only one compound and uh, you, it's an easy link to the basic patent on that very compound. So, that is one of the differences that we that we notice. Another difference that we have is that the regulatory system or the regulatory processes are less unified uh, in the European Union than for pharmaceuticals. Now, sometimes for good reasons, because the way plants grow depends upon the climate as well. So there are actually different regions defined in the European Union uh, for to, to, to obtain a certain marketing approval, it will be linked to a certain type of, of crop as well. So again, that introduces an extra complexity uh, that we that we uh, that needs to be taken into account when, when obtaining an SPC. And as I uh, and I written an article about that, one of the things which we notice is there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, uh, decisions from the CGAU um, on this topic. I have the impression that I, I would I would bet I haven't done the uh, the uh, the statistics, but I would bet that Article Three of the uh, SPC regulation is probably the most is 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 the article that went most to the CGAU and previously the ECJ. Uh, uh, so that is the most popular, well, probably not popular, <laughs> but but uh, article at the CJU. Um, why is that? Well, obviously, um, both for plant protection products and for pharmaceuticals, the revenues of a certain product will be peaking around the expiry of your patent or of your SPC. And generic uh, companies want to come in as soon as possible. So if they can actually attack, if they can invalidate your SPC, that for them is a big bonus. So there is a lot of litigation around that. 
Hence, you have a lot of questions potentially being asked to the CJEU. Now, coming back now to, to the difference between pharmaceutical and plant protections. So the in, in there is, in my view, but this is my personal view, a underlying feeling uh, at the CJU, again, justified or not, but that they need to, to limit the number of SPCs that a, a, a company would be able to obtain. Why? Because there is a, a link between patent protection or SPC protection and the price of pharmaceuticals. Um, my pharmaceutical colleagues will explain that there are many more elements, and that is undoubtedly true, but it is difficult to deny that there is that having an SPC or a patent on a product will um, uh, gives the company more leverage on the price setting. Now, I am convinced that a number of decisions that have been made by the CJEU Underlying, although it's, I haven't really found any or here and there, only here and there are some explicit uh, references, but that there is this concern that if we allow SPCs more liberal, then we will have a problem because then we will extend and extend and extend the, uh, the, the uh, protection of pharmaceuticals and hence the national healthcare system, which is already very heavily burdened, might suffer more. What my point is, there is no such situation for, for plant protection products. There is no, quote unquote, national plant health insurance system that gives money to farmers to, uh, to help them with using plant protection products. No, a farmer will actually make a very economical decision. If he sees that he will get a good price for his harvest, for his wheat, his barley, his whatever, his, his grapes, he will say, okay, I will invest in more expensive, probably better performing um, uh, products, and I will get a return on that investment. The old products uh, actually have a, have a good activity. That's another difference in, in pharmaceuticals. I know I exaggerate a little bit, but it can be a, a matter of life and death. If I take it, well, I live. If I don't take the medicine, I do not live. With plant protection products, that is seldom the case. The older uh, products that have now gone generic will give a certain protection against certain pests, but not to the extent that the newer products will give. So it is not a matter of zero or 100. It is more a matter, do I, do I want that 5% extra yield uh, in, for my, for my uh, harvest or not? And so it's an economical decision that the farmer might take. And what I was wanted to signal uh, with the article that we wrote now already six years ago is to say, well, I understand the, 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 the basic fundamental thinking that there might be present in SPCs for pharmaceuticals, but let's not apply that automatically to plant protection products because the worlds are different. The worlds are not the same. So I think those give, that gives a bit of an overview of, of what I would um, uh, refer to as the main differences. Yes, talking about um, your article, um, there have been a lot of other points made in your article, not only about the differences between SPCs for plant protection products and pharmaceutical products. Um, can you uh, maybe briefly summarize your main takeaways from the article that you've written? 
Well, it, what I mentioned was the the important message. The the other right. message was that the um, uh, yeah we are a little bit the 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 article is called the the ugly duckling uh, because I do have the impression that uh, plant protection uh, SPCs or plant protection products SPCs are sometimes forgotten. I remember that even uh, when the European Union started or the European Commission rather started some um, uh, questions uh, around the system. Well, does it work well or does it? They had even forgotten us. Uh, and I had to say, well, hold on a second. There are SPCs for plant protection products. And obviously that is normal. Uh, I do understand that the 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 pharmaceutical industry uh is is about 20 times as big as the as the uh the, the plant protection uh business so uh the we the plant protection business industry is about 60 billion uh per year uh, maybe now already a little bit more the number that i found for pharmaceuticals is is 1.2 trillion so obviously they're 20 times as big so obviously uh, they are much more important in terms of of revenue, but obviously that does not mean that you know they should simply forget about us. Um, and and that was actually my my main point that uh, you could actually argue, and that's what we tried to do in the in the article that for us SPCs are even more important than than for pharmaceuticals. I I do understand that my pharmaceutical colleagues will disagree, but but it was a bit of a a uh, desperate attempt to get a bit of attention for the plant protection SPCs. So yes, that was the and, main and in, the main argument. And in particular, um, I would I would think that um, you mentioned that the pharmaceutical industry often only needs protection for a single small molecule for um, for a single um, compounds, and you need the SPCs for each mixture that you are put into the market or have to go through all this process. Well, and I'm, so in, it might be. That you, even if you have the similar compounds, but in different mixtures, you just uh, naturally need more SPCs, basically, right? To understand. Well, I, I I would argue that now it it is it is important to note that the, and this has been an evolution over also over the last couple of decades, I should say. But pharmaceutical industry has also moved uh, to 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 mixtures more and more. But I. And, and I'm not an expert on pharmaceutical products, but I would I would dare to bet that for them, mostly the first product will be a solo product, and then they will uh, come with a with a combination, for instance. So there are. It's not that they they don't have combinations, but what we are often in this strange situation that our first product that we bring to the market is actually already a combination, and that is. And but you're also right that we use many more uh, mixtures and uh, it is uh, for every such mixture we actually need to do the regulatory studies so for us from a from a basic philosophy of spcs that you say well you want to recuperate investment in r&d because you needed to spend time uh, on a particular product with respect to the regulatory requirements, well, in that sense, it makes for us a lot of sense that we say, look, we this is a different product for us. We want a separate SPC. And that's where uh, I can understand from a 
um, let's say, again, I can more or less understand from a pharmaceutical perspective that you say, well, we're not going to allow all these SPCs because this is this will be a burden on the healthcare system. What I'm saying is, yeah, there is no such argument for plant protection products. So why would we not be allowed to, to, to get those SPCs? Now, obviously, uh, our generic... Uh, uh, colleagues might might object, which is which is which is completely understandable. Uh, but 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 from our perspective, that would make a lot of sense. Right. Are there any other um, like one or two or three major points that you want to address uh, that uh, that you mentioned in the article? Uh, well, I'm not mentioning them in the article, uh, although I maybe just as a reference. But what is important is the new development that will come up. We, we, we are very uh, happy uh, that the European um, Union, the European Commission, took up our request to get a unitary SPC in place as well. Uh, so following, hopefully now, the, uh, we've, I'm hoping that we're now getting to the, to the point where the UPC will actually uh, start and where we will have a unitary patent. Uh, that we can follow that up with the unitary SPCs. I, I, I do think that that is an important development, hoping that we will get there. The idea would be that uh, it's it's the same. We, we, we just uh, extend the, the unitary patent by a unitary SPC. Um, well, the details are, are still being, being discussed, but it would actually lead to a clarification of the situation because there is quite a divergent uh, uh, situation with respect to to uh, the breadth and 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 how uh, SPCs are are um, uh, granted in the different countries. Uh, hopefully, this would be become a little bit more unified. And I even would plead that this is true also for our generic colleagues uh, because for them the the uh, let's say the unclarity or the lack of clarity is also a problem because you might then have an SPC in one country, not in another country. Uh, the, the, the scope might be different. I, I, am, I am pleading that creating more transparency, more clarity for everybody is actually a, a, a good thing, both for us, because it, it's, it gives us certainty on what we will get uh, with respect to SPCs and or even for our generic colleagues, I think it will help them because it would create a better transparency of where which SPC is in place and what the scope of an SPC would be. So, so I think that is an important development to be to be watched. Obviously, this will not be there in uh, one or two months, but but I'm hoping that uh, that we can work on that in the in the years to come. Yes. Um, so talking about UPC. Um... You're, you seem to greet the new system uh, as, as I do, <laughs> but um, do you um, opt out uh, some of the patents or all of the current patents or do you embrace the new system and don't opt out patents? What is your strategy there? Well, we still, we, we, my initial uh, approach would be to, to not to opt out. I think uh, for us, we do not have that much litigation we file in a lot so economically for us it is a good thing uh, to use the unitary patent and hence the upc uh, because we file 
not in or every single EPC country, but in most of them. So, with uh, with respect to translations, clearly it is a it is a uh, a cost reduction for us. We do not have that much litigation. So, the idea of well, there will be somewhere in a, in a small country, all of a sudden, someone who starts an invalidation action, and and your whole uh, patent uh, for the whole European Union is gone. That I see less as a risk. Um, so I think in general, we will not opt out I, to be, this will sound maybe a little bit arrogant, but I'm relatively, uh, confident that our pants stand up scrutiny. So I, I'm not so worried about that. I, I do think also there is maybe also a little bit of a idealistic, uh, element to this. I, I think we need to come to a, um, to a system that is more unitary in the European Union. Um, I don't think it's good that if you have a patent, if certainly for small inventors, I cannot see how uh, having uh, uh, to take patents in, in, in all those different countries, uh, how that is manageable for, for us, a big company, we actually could do this. We're doing it right now, but, but for smaller inventors and smaller companies I, I think it will be a good thing that they um that they would have a broader patent protection in in terms of, of region um to 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 uh, enable them to to have a broader protection and and hopefully then a broader market for their product so so i i do i do uh, have there is a, there is a little bit of an idealistic element to this as well that i do still believe Maybe wrongly, <laughs> but uh, that the European Union can can uh, can do some some well can be can be beneficial for for companies. And I'm also hearing that um, most of the experienced uh, patent litigation judges uh, in the most important litigation countries, such as let's say Germany, Netherlands, France, Italy. Um, they are also applying for the UPC. Um, that, that's what I he I'm hearing. So maybe um, there will be quite experienced patent judges at the UPC. Um, so maybe there will not be a big uh, surprise, let's say, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, in yeah, because, the decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I completely agree with you because yeah. I have always defended the, the position that Decisions can actually, decisions, good or bad, I don't know whether there are good or bad decisions. Obviously, you, you don't like to lose. But but what is much more important for, for an industry is to have a, a, an as high as possible degree of certainty that you say, okay, what we predict will happen is what will happen. What is What is very bad is... Yeah, that you win in certain cases and then you lose while it's basically the same uh, the same set of facts and the the, the, the same rules uh, or, or similar rules that is in my view much worse than even if judges would be more restricted vis-a-vis -vis patent holders for instance okay I can live with that as long as I can predict what their what their um, uh, decisions would be. Or, or predict maybe that's a that's a strong word, but at least anticipate to some degree with a certain degree of probability. Okay, that is what we, and then we can advise our 
our internal clients, external uh, councils can can can, exter- can uh, counsel their uh, clients, and it leads to to a much more predictable uh, situation. And that is what we what we need. If we can, if we know better, if we can see clearer into the future, that is a much more um, much more important. Um, uh, how would I say? Uh, benefit than 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 to win or or lose uh, a case, if if, right. if that makes sense. Right. Okay. So uh, we have talked a lot about uh, uh, the SPCs for plant protection products now, and we were barely able to scratch the surface of this really important and deep topic. But I'm yeah. very grateful for your time that you gave uh, our listeners uh, some insight into what is important uh, regarding the SPCs for plant protection products. So I'm very grateful. Thank you very much for uh, spending your time with us. Okay, I thank you. And it was a privilege. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love. And tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes, and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast, or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.